Shabbat Shalom. So we're in part seven on my series. I think this is it. Seven is the magic number, right? The number of completion. So hopefully we'll get this completed today. I hope you've enjoyed this series on the armor of God, putting on the armor of God, being engaged in the battle. So you won't get a choice. You don't get to sign up for the war. The war has come to you. It's already here. You're under attack. This is about putting on the armor of God to not only withstand the attack, but to overcome it. So today we're going to talk about the sword of the spirit. I've entitled it the sword of the spirit. We're waiting on that slide. I know it's going to come up at some point here. The sword of the spirit. Oh, don't mess with me. Okay. So the Lord has brought us out of Egypt in order to bring us into the promised land. He didn't just bring us out. He had a reason. He brought us out of the land in order to take us into the promised land. And just like they had to fight in order to take and settle the promised land, right? It's a promise. I thought you, I thought you promised that to us. Yeah, go take it. Well, there's giants. Kill them. Yeah, they had to actually go in, engage the enemy, and kick them out of the land. Take the land by force. So we, too, are called to fight, to take what God has promised us. And what has He promised us? What is it that the Lord has promised us through Yeshua? Is it not life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Now, that might sound strangely familiar, right? But long before the founders of our nation stated this, God had already promised it to those who love him. So today we're going to take a closer look at what it means to take by force what God has promised us. Now, if you're new, I'm not calling for arms, not, not guns or bombs or anything like that. I'm talking about spiritual weapons. I'm talking about spiritual armor and a spiritual battle and how we have to, in the spirit, take it by force. So those that have been hanging with me for the last couple of series, you know what I'm talking about. Ephesians 6, 16 through 17, this is the end of the passage. We've talked about this last week, the shield of faith. Let's finish this this uh, passage here says, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, verse 17, and that, I'm sorry, and that, I'm sorry, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Flaming arrows, we talked about that, the power of curses. And the power of the blessing and how the whole world is engaged in that. The whole universe is a word-based universe and responds to the spoken word. We'll get down to that in a few moments. But I want to come back to one of our offensive weapons, and that is the sword of the Spirit. Now, swords were weapons of war, offensive weapons. It's what you would use to kill the enemy in hand-to-hand combat. And we've each been given a sharp, two-edged sword 
And Paul says that that is, in fact, the Word of God. The Word of God is like a sword, a weapon of warfare. And by faith in the Word of God, we not only come out of our Egypts of sin and shame, where we are held captive and controlled, we march forward into the promised lands of life and liberty and the right to pursue our happiness. And we do that by lining up with the Word, living the Word, proclaiming the Word, until we arrive in our promised lands. Let me recap. We talked about Abraham last week, the father of faith. This is exactly what he did. He went to, to war against all the circumstances that came against him and Sarah and the promise that God made to them. Think about what they were up against. God promised them a child. And what they end up in, circumstance after circumstance, said, no, you will not only not have a child, you don't even have a home anymore. Remember, you know, how many times was Sarah taken into the palace and and, and Abraham lost his wife to a powerful king. I mean, that was like two different times, you know? I mean, can you imagine that? What, what, would, what would we say if we were in that circumstance? We'd say, well, psh, forget the promised child. I don't even have a wife anymore. Way to go, God. I don't think I'm going to follow you anymore. You made this promise and you're not making good on it. Now, you know what Abraham did? Abraham said, no, that is not going to stop the promise of God. I know what God said. Somehow, some way, this will resolve itself. He believed God against all odds, hope against hope. He would not give up. He laid hold of the promise of God that was spoken to him. When God spoke it, it became the word of God. And it said that Abraham believed the word of God. And so no matter what was going on, he said, okay, those are the circumstances. I won't deny the circumstances, but I won't live under them. I refuse to live in accordance with the circumstances. This is what God said. Circumstances, get out of the way. Circumstances, resolve yourself. And he waited on God. Sarah did too. And that was no short journey, right? I mean, how long was that? I think it was like 25 years. Yeah, he is the father of faith. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, a father of many nations, have I made you. That's what God spoke to Abraham before it was even true. God's calling him the father of many nations. How many kids did he have? Zippo. He was too, too old to even have kids. Now you could have laughed at that, and he did. If you remember, he laughed, and then Sarah laughed when she heard it. And God said, what are you laughing at? Why are you guys laughing? And why were they laughing? They're laughing because they're like, God, do you understand how old we are? You know? And God's saying, wait, wait. Nothing's impossible for me. Isn't that what Jesus tells his disciples? Time after time after time. What does he say when they're in a tough place? He says, you know what? Believe in me. All things are possible who believe in God. Everything is possible for God. There's nothing too big that God cannot resolve. We have to learn to be like Abraham, to live by faith, to lay hold of the word of God, line up with the word of God, and stand our ground until that mountain moves because God's going to have his way. Now, it's a collaboration. 
we have to be involved in that. So uh, we'll talk more about that too, if we have some time. But let me jump into this. It's Romans chapter 4 and verse 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. God calls into reality that which is not in reality. God calls things into being that do not yet exist. He's calling Abraham what? The father of many nations. Was Abraham the father of many nations? No, he didn't even have a child. Yet God calls him that as if that was already in place. And I want to say that when God speaks, things that do not exist come into existence. That's how that works. That's why he's calling Abraham a father of many nations before Abraham was even the father of many nations. Because somehow, some way, that spoken word has divine energy and power to bring things into reality. Let me give you an example. Genesis 1. Remember the story of creation? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse 3. Then God said. Then God spoke. Spoke. Then God verbalized something, right? What did he say? He said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. I don't understand how that works. But that is the matrix, the physics, the, the, the very elements of the universe that he made. It responds to him. God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse, separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. There was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, then God said, day four, then God said, day five, then God said, day six, the whole universe created out of nothing, spoken into existence by God himself. God speaking things that did not exist into existence. He's the creator. That's how he creates. And if you understand that those days probably represented billions of years and so much activity, over such a long period of time, God's speaking quite a bit, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, creates everything we know, seen and unseen, by His Word. The power of His Word. Everything. So again, the universe is a word-based phenomenon. It kneels at the altar of the Word of God. The universe responds to the word when it is believed and spoken through the lips of the righteous.
we need to understand who we are in him. And like our Father in heaven, who's called us to rule and reign with him, to participate in bringing about his will the way he does, by speaking it into existence. Romans 4.18, in hope against hope, he believed that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. He preserved or persevered, he persevered in his faith for 25 years before the promise came into being. It was a collaboration, a collaboration. Abraham was required to believe and declare what the Lord had said. If he did, God would bring it to pass, implying that if he gave up on his faith, he would have missed the promise. Does that make sense? If Abraham would have said, no, it's too much. No, this is crazy. I can't do this anymore. Do you think God still would have done that? The promise is conditional. And what is the condition? Faith. It's a holy collaboration. What God has promised you and me requires you and me to rise up, lay hold of that, speak it, believe it, live it against all odds. And if we'll do that long enough, we'll see what was promised come to pass. Can I get an amen? Come on now. Give me some encouragement. And if you don't, I'll persevere until you do. Okay. Faith implies perseverance. Faith implies that it's going to be a journey before you get what was promised. You got to persevere in that. Got to fight. Got to find some grit to endure the hardship for the prize of what was promised. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2. I got to tell you, I, I was playing with Harrison some soccer kind of game in my basement. You know, he had a little ball and he was trying to kick the ball and hit the couch, and I was like the guard for the, you know, and I would block that shot over and over and over. It was about, oh, I think five or six times that he missed, that he throws himself on the ground, you know, just throws himself on the ground, he's crying, he says, I can't do it. I, can't. I said, what are, what are you doing? I said, Harrison, what, what are you doing? I said, you get up off that floor right now. I said, you never give up. Don't you give up. I said, sooner or later, you're going to get that shot in. But if you quit, you never will do this, ever. Man, he jumped back up, a couple more shots, he got it through. And man, his face, and he threw his hands up, it was like victory, it was like he did it, and he was shocked, but it was like, it was worth it. It was worth it. So many times we just throw ourselves on the ground, and we say, I can't do this, and the father's saying, Get some grit, son. Get some grit, daughter. Get up off the floor. Don't you know who you are? Never, never, never give up. It's in the giving up that we miss what God has promised for us. God's not going to do it all for you. That would not do anything. That would set you back. You'd never grow up. You'd never, you would never be like him. No, he's calling you to join him to allow him to shape you and me to be like him, which means we need some adversity. In order to exercise what God has given us, 
to experience not only the victory, but the sufferings of Messiah so we can become more like him. The word of God is dynamic. The word of God is not stagnant. What you have in your Bibles is the word of the Lord, and that word is dynamic. It's living, and it's infinitely powerful. Hebrews 4, verse 2. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, I don't know much about swords. Anyone know a lot about swords in here? I don't see a hand. All right. Well, I just know this much. I know this much. When you, when you got a double, when, when your blade is sharp on both sides, man, it goes in and out a lot easier. You know, swords, they can get stuck in things. A double-edged sword, oh my gosh, that's the tool to have if the battle's hand-to-hand combat. And the Word of God is like a double-edged sword. It's so powerful. It's active. It's living. It makes things happen. So what do we have to do? We have to acclimate ourselves to the sword. That means we have to spend time in the word. We have to immerse ourselves, wash ourselves in the word day in, day out to meditate on the word. You say, ah, I don't got a lot of time. I know, I know. Life's busy. The average Christian watches 30 to 35 hours of TV a week. So much to watch. I don't have time to be in the word. If we just would knock off half of that, you can still watch TV, but if you took half that time and spent in the Word and going out and exercising your faith, you would be unstoppable, absolutely unstoppable. People, we can do this. But like soldiers, we're going to have to rearrange our life. We have to reorganize our schedules. We have to get our priorities straight so that we can understand how to use the Word of God. We want to be in the Word, meditate on the Word, believe the Word, learn to walk in the Word, and then to release it by faith in our speech. And then we wait. We wait faithfully and patiently for it to come to pass. And it always does. It always does. So we need to learn to speak to our mountains. We all have mountains in our life. We all have obstacles in our life. We're all under attack from time to time. So how do we make it through, right? Let me give you this text. It's in Mark chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 12. It says, on the next day, this is speaking about Jesus, on the next day, when they had left for Bethany, Jesus and the disciples, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. You know, they thought Jesus was crazy. They, they had private discussions behind the scenes when Jesus would like be praying. They'd be like, oh, I don't think he's the Messiah. I think he's just crazy. Uh, there's text that said they thought he, he was beside himself, that he was mentally ill. I think this was one of those times they're scratching their heads thinking, what's he doing talking to a fig tree? 
Y'all hearing this? He's, he's like talking to the fig tree. Yeah. I think he was talking to the fig tree because he knew his disciples were listening. And he wanted to teach them something about faith. It says, then they came to Jerusalem. And then when evening came, they would go out of the city and stay in Bethany. As they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, have faith in God. I mean, you cursed the fig tree and now it's dead. How'd you do that? Have faith in God. Connecting this event with what it means to have faith in God. What? How? Why? Verse 23. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and what mountain is there between Bethany and Jerusalem? What is the mountain? Mount of Olives. Yeah. So he's probably on that trail to, to Jerusalem back and forth is referencing that mountain. He says, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, right within plain sight, you think the fig tree was something? It's just the tree. I'm telling you right now, you could even move the mountain. Well, you know, the fig tree is just figurative. No, it's literal. It was a literal tree. And it didn't have any figs and he cursed it. And then it dies. He says, oh, that's nothing. Have faith in God. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says, what he speaks, is going to happen. It will be granted him. Why? Because it's a word-based universe. Because the Father calls things that are not in existence into existence. Because the Father says, I'm empowering my children to speak on my behalf. To move the mountains in our way. To advance my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I've given them the power to do it. The keys to do that. And they're doing it just like I do it. They're my sons. They're my daughters. Verse 24, and here's the application. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them and they will be granted you. This changed the way I pray. Years ago, years ago, this changed how I pray. Therefore, I say to you, all the things which you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them already. What that means is this, if you're praying for something that you can't believe that you've already received it, that you don't even have faith for, don't pray. God doesn't listen to those kind of prayers. He listens to prayers that are filled with faith. It says we cannot please God unless we come to him believing that he is, is one who rewards us, blesses us. We have to come by faith. That's what captures the heart of God. So if you can't really believe that you're going to receive and that you have received already what you're praying for, don't pray that prayer. Ask God for the faith to believe for what you're asking for. 
We need to pray and believe we, we have already received it and walk in that as if we already have it. And then, after that time, at a given point, it comes into existence. I've done this over and over and over. I've, I've had, you know, 63 years on the planet already. So I've, I've had some sicknesses along the way. I've had to battle some illnesses along the way. And I have went to God, I've asked God, I've believed God, and then I've just walked as if I was already healed. And every time, without exception, over a period of time, I would get healed. Over and over, I saw this principle at work. I saw it and applied it in my finances. I, I applied it in my, in my first 20 years of working in the secular realm. It's amazing how whatever it is you and I are facing that's preventing whatever it is that God spoke and gave to us, we can move it by faith. We can change it by faith. Never, ever live by your circumstances. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. You need to say, Father, what are you doing? What do you want to accomplish? Catch the idea of what he has promised. Speak it, believe it, and move that mountain. God is for you, not against you. I'm going to close with Proverbs 8, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's the tongue that brings forth the spoken word. It's powerful. It can result in diminishing and destroying or giving life and liberty. So free yourself. Speak the word to your soul. In Jesus, I am loved by God. I don't care what the enemy says. I don't care what my wife says. I don't care what my dad says. I don't care what my mom says. I'm loved by God. I have the status child of God. I'm accepted by him. I have eternal worth. I can do all things through him. I have a right to live my life according to his word. I'm telling you people, when we speak the word of God over our lives and identify with it, we rise out of the ashes of discouragement, despair, loneliness, whatever it is, we rise up. It's such a powerful thing to stand in front of the mirror and speak the word of God eyeball to eyeball with yourself. We need to use the word of God to free others by sharing the good news that Jesus loves them. He has a place for them in, in his kingdom. And that we have a, a part in bringing them into that realm of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And then to bring them to church where we can help them grow in their faith be discipled, experience liberty and happiness. And then finally, we need to bring about our Father's will in our world. We pray that every day, don't we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, come where? To the earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't care what DC's doing. I don't care what our politicians are doing. I look and say, Father, what's going on in heaven? And I pray that into existence. I line up with that. I vote for representatives based on whether they're in alignment with that. Because I'm all about bringing the kingdom of God to our planet. It's already here and growing, right? We do that by speaking the word, praying the word, living the word. He has given us some big mandates to do. The Father's given us big mandates Here's one, family. 
family. Wait, the first mandate in the Garden of Eden, what does he say? God says, let's make human beings in our image. Then he goes on to say, in our image we made them, what? Male and female. Then he says, hey, why don't you get married, have kids, and rule and reign with me over creation? That's the first mandate. And that mandate has never been repealed. It's a part of what we do. That's how we advance the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, by creating with the Father. It's called procreation, right? The world says, no, 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 no. You can have sex without marriage. You can have kids without marriage. You don't have to have a marriage at all. Yeah, God's saying, no, 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 no. Sex is only within the confines of marriage. And part of the purpose of sex includes procreation. And so we have to get back to that mandate because that's under attack. It's under attack. Man, I'll tell you what, in order to do the mandate, young men, listen to me. Get a good education, get a good job. If you got a good job, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a big pool to pick from when it comes to dating and finding a spouse. Women, get a good education, get a good job, because any man who sees in you not only his honey, but she makes money. Oh my gosh, you were in the fixings for a wide pool of men, good men, that will provide for you as well. So I'm saying, you know what? There's a lot that we can do, very practical things that we can do to come together as a community and stand our ground and begin to make a difference. And it doesn't matter where you're at in this process. It doesn't matter where you're at. You may be saying, ah, oh, you know, that's too far removed from me. No, it's not. You start with, with where you're at, and you begin to believe God for what he has for you in your life. Begin to overcome your own obstacles in your own life. I am out of time. I wanted to talk a little bit about government and church. Uh, but suffice it to say, we'll get into that in the weeks ahead. I think you'll find that very interesting. Uh, for now, trust God. Move your mountains. Let him have his way by you waiting and trusting in him. And watch him do what he's always done. The work of transformation in you and around you. Amen? Shabbat Shalom.